Hello and welcome to another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thank you so much for listening. This is where I have conversations with people who are living life on their own terms. We dive into those big moments that have pushed them through the fears and self-limiting beliefs that hold so many of us back. My guest today is the lovely Rachel Cable, who is a mindfulness mentor, blogger, and host of the wonderful Mindful Kind podcast, where she shares great tips and her journey into mindfulness to help people around the world to live more mindfully. If you're new to mindfulness, feel like you're always busy being busy, or suffer from anxiety, then I think you're really going to enjoy this episode as Rachel opens up about her journey into mindfulness and shares some wonderful tips and resources to help people getting started. In this episode, Rachel and I dive into the inner talk that we all have, how we can find ourselves consistently thinking about the future and planning on always trying to be better. One of the tips I really loved was the breathing waltz, which is where you breathe in for three, hold for three and breathe out for three. So simple, but yet so powerful. There are a stack of resources and apps that we talk about in this episode, and I've linked to them all in the show notes at liveimmediately.com, along with links to Rachel's podcast. So make sure you check them out if you want to learn a little bit more. Rachel is a fun thinker, and I love it that she doesn't take herself too seriously. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Rachel Cable. Hi, Rachel. How are you? Hi, Mike. I'm really well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well indeed, very well indeed. And whereabouts in this beautiful world do I find you today? I'm in Melbourne at home. It's very weird and quiet around here at the moment because my boyfriend and our dog always go for a walk or kind of get out of the house when I do an interview. So it's always really strange. It's so quiet and just lonely in here now. So I'm actually glad to be hopping on the interview. It's... um. Nice to feel like I've still got some kind of connection. <laughs> oh, nice. It's so true. Like that sound of silence can actually be so loud sometimes. Oh, it sure can. And, you know, you'd think that after all the meditation and mindfulness and things, I'd be used to, you know, this kind of, ah, oh, it's it's almost like a bit of a relief, but at the same time, it's just weird because it's not normally like this here. Like I have to go off on my own to find silence. It's not usually so readily accessible. <laughs> It's so true, but it would be so great if uh, if silence could just be kind of turned on with a tap, but uh, unfortunately life isn't always like that. Yeah, exactly. It would be good, a little switch, <laughs> silent switch. <laughs> but you, you did talk about mindfulness there, and I wanted to get you on the Live Immediately podcast here because you are a mindfulness mentor, blogger, and you host the wonderful Mindful podcast, which I absolutely love. And I just love it how you've got these great little tips that you you teach people, but you also kind of talk about your own journey into mindfulness to really help people like all around the world to, to live mindfully. So firstly, I just wanted to start by saying like, thank you for that podcast and all the time and dedication that you put into it. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I, I love doing the podcast, honestly, like it's just adds so much meaning to my life. And I often hear from listeners and how it's helped them in different ways. And it always just, it just feels so rewarding. I couldn't think of anything 
more, I don't know, meaningful and mm. fun and interesting to be doing with my time. So I love doing it. And thank you for your compliment. That's uh, really nice. You're more than welcome. And it's, it's a really interesting medium, like I guess, like at least – with my podcast, I you know I always interview people, but with yours, it is quite solo, and and in a sense, you're doing this thing by yourself. You're putting it out there, but then you're having all of these interactions with people and kind of getting deep into their lives, and then some of them, as you said, reaching out to you. It's really funny. There's this kind of this mixed parallels between it being a very solo thing, but then being a very community thing as well. Oh, definitely. I really did not predict that it would turn out like that. I, It's actually funny because I originally wanted to do interviews for the podcast because it just kind of seemed like the thing to do. And, you know, I was really excited to interview people that I looked up to and admired and learned things from. And then I was just really nervous, to be honest. I'm, I'm such an introvert. And the idea of interviewing people especially the people that I admire, it just puts so much more pressure on you. And I thought, well, I'll start off just on my own for a while and see how that goes. And it turned out pretty well for you. (laughs) Yeah, it did. I I, I just love doing it this way and people seem to have really liked it. So it was just a happy, happy mistake, really. (laughs) Uh, They're the best mistakes, I think. But But let's go back a little bit to when Rachel might not have been so mindful. So can you take me back? I guess, to those moments. And then how did you used to deal with that internal battle and self-talk that we all seem to have? Mm, There's a lot actually I can talk about in terms of not being mindful because I used to be really not very mindful at all. I was very caught up in thinking about the future and ruminating over mistakes that I'd made in the past. I have a type A personality, so love organizing, love planning, love predicting, I love pushing myself and love analyzing things that I've done to try and get better. And I just, it was just so much pressure. And when I was in high school, I wanted to become a doctor. I've always really wanted to help people in some way. And when I was in year 11, I'd been struggling with stress and anxiety for a couple of years by then, but it really compounded in year 11. I started getting these awful tension headaches and had to go and get scans and saw different doctors. And in the end, they just said that it was just tension. It was just too much stress. And, you know, that was really a reflection of the choices that I'd made with my studies. I was a very, I loved all my English classes and I loved all my language classes. And, you know, I've always really enjoyed writing and reading and, you know, to become a doctor, you have to study a lot of maths and a lot of science and, it just wasn't me and I was I was really feeling frustrated with myself because I wasn't doing anywhere near as near as well as I thought that I should be. And it just wasn't it wasn't the kind of um, material I guess that was resonating with me. I struggled to really learn how to do all these complicated maths and chemistry was just my worst nightmare, honestly. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so it just all really I don't know. It's hard to describe. It just felt like I was in this constant state of stress. I was always worried about something. And I think that's just kind of the way that I learned to think. I always learned that the norm was to be worried about something. Yeah. It's in, it's interesting that we, we can kind of fall into these patterns and we just think it is normal, even though like when we're, when we're in them, we feel we can't get out of them, but we maybe can't get out of them because we're doing the same thing that got us there in the first place? 
Yeah, definitely. You know, it used to feel like it was the normal thing to wake up in the morning and straight away to be trying to predict my day and to have woken up multiple times during the night and to be feeling really exhausted because I just wasn't getting quality sleep. And that was just what I thought was normal. And yeah, I I think I... I made the change to study psychology instead because it was just a little bit more up my alley, I guess. Like there's a lot more reading and a lot more understanding. And for me, it just resonated a lot more. And so I decided to study that at university instead of medicine. And I absolutely loved it. Like it was just, it was exactly what I needed. Like sometimes you just go after the answers that you don't even realize that you are looking for. Mm -hmm. You just naturally kind of go in that direction. So studying psychology, I did start to understand all these thought patterns and ways of thinking. And I uncovered mindfulness meditations, sort of discovered what they were and started dabbling in them. Then when I was doing a placement in my second year of uni, I was uh, volunteering as a helpline. I was volunteering on helpline at the Anxiety Recovery Center. And that was where where I really started to dive into mindfulness and started practicing it with a lot more commitment and started reading a lot more about it. And A couple of years later, I um, studied coaching and counselling, decided that mindfulness was what I really wanted to be talking about and been doing that ever since, really. (laughs) Oh, lovely. And I'm sure we're going to dig into uh, bits and pieces of that like throughout the conversation. But earlier on, you were kind of talking a lot about prediction and and the future. And I I guess one of the main things about mindfulness is, is, is really being in the present. But we often do always try to predict and, and, and future plan things. How have you been able to kind of tame that, those, those future thoughts back and kind of be living more into the present? I think one of the things that mindfulness has taught me is that there was a lot of planning and predicting that is necessary and important you know to live the life that I want to live but there's also a lot of thinking and planning and predicting which was just not helping me at all it was just conducive to being stressed really so it was starting to learn the difference between the two it was realizing when I had prepared myself enough for things that were going to be happening to me and then being able to I guess stop thinking about the future and to be able to say, yep, that's enough now. I've, I don't need to think about this anymore. And every time that I have another thought about it, I can just be like, well, I'm thinking about it again. I can take a couple of deep breaths. I can do a meditation. I can focus on what's happening to me right now. Um, what kind of experience am I having? What's around me? How can I interact with this moment a little bit more? So I guess it's just been a bit of a journey to understanding how my mind works that yes it does want to predict and plan but that it doesn't always need to Mm. and understanding when I do need to and when I don't and is is that a bit of a like a a balancing act to kind of get that right to be able to think about those things that you need to think about that I guess that are going to help future Rachel but then not thinking about them too much and you you know you spoke there about acknowledging that thought when it's coming through and, and maybe taking some breaths or, or going through a meditation, but is, is, does that come more naturally to you now that you've been kind of going through the process a fair bit? It does now, but it didn't probably for the first couple of years that I was practicing mindfulness. I, I think at the start, I put a lot of pressure on myself to not think about the future at all, to really try and be mindful all the time. And then I realized I was just, 
I was just putting unnecessary pressure on myself again. You know, mm. you don't need to be mindful every minute of every day. In fact, I think that's almost impossible for many of us. You know, we, we have lives that we need to lead and to be able to lead those lives, we, we do have to think a little bit about what we're going to be doing and, you know, even, even meal planning, you know, little things like that or setting goals, you need to think about the future a little bit. Um, but yeah, it, it does come naturally to me now. It's quite easy to notice when I'm overthinking something, but it, it took a little bit of time to get to that stage. And I think that's kind of why I've loved sharing my journey with my podcast listeners is because it's, it's kind of normalized that mindfulness isn't always easy. It might seem really simple, but it's not. Um, and it, it is a different journey for different people. Maybe someone will start practicing mindfulness and totally get it straight away, but it, it definitely wasn't the case for me and I'm still learning every day. And, you know, we talk about practicing mindfulness here and you mentioned earlier about, I guess you really discovering mindfulness and meditation when you were going through, um, studying psychology at uni university and then also at the helpline. What were some of the big things like what were the the big things that really stood out to you and, and you gravitated towards mindfulness and, and I guess like how did you really discover it and kind of fall into it? I think I really committed to the mindfulness practice because I wanted to understand it more for the people who were calling me when I was volunteering on the helpline. I wanted to be able to offer real solutions when they were looking for different things to try and I felt like I felt like I understood anxiety and stress and I had a lot of techniques which I could talk about, but when we were led through these really practical exercises, breathing waltzes and which is just breathing in for three counts and hold for three counts and breathe out for three counts, paying attention to the breath. And then there was this other exercise which was all about um, paying attention to your senses. So looking around and noticing five things that you can see and listening out for four things that you can hear and noticing three things that you can feel in your body. And just starting to realize how often I wasn't in the moment. And it was quite shocking for me. You know, I started to realize that I was always focusing on the future, even when it was about being happy. You know, I would think, oh, I need this and this and this to be happy rather than, oh, how does happiness actually feel to me right now? Am I content? Am I satisfied? And and realizing that the answer was yes. Most of the time I was quite content and satisfied. It was just that the way that I was thinking was um, was taking over in a way, really. It was distracting me from from how I was feeling. And I started to realize that not only could I feel more of those, um, what people would refer to as positive emotions, I guess, but being able to sit with uh, challenging and vulnerable emotions, mm -hmm. um, sadness and anger and frustration and boredom and starting to realize that I had put all these labels on my emotions and that they weren't necessarily good or bad they were just what I was experiencing and that that was okay yeah it's it's really interesting that you you bring up that because I think sometimes we you know you talk about there the the chasing happiness and sometimes I feel it's people just don't want any struggle or or any negative or or anything that's hard and they kind of want to go for the for what's easy and or, or not easy might not be the right word but it's this where, where everything is just perfect all the time. And I, I feel like one of the biggest things that I've kind of learned over the last few years is, is that that place doesn't really exist. And as you said there, it's, it's not so much about that this emotion is positive or negative, that it just is. And I think that's a, a really powerful 
place to to arrive at yeah and as you say it it there is no perfect place for people you know everyone has struggles but I think especially in this day and age we're exposed to so much what seems like perfection you know on social Mm -hmm. media and tv and um, reality shows and everything where we're shown these insights into people's lives which aren't often true or aren't often as perfect as they seem to be and so we're pushing ourselves to reach these really high standards and imagining that someone else's life is so much better than ours and then I don't know for me it's really been about realizing that everybody is a person you know all these people that I used to look up to and want to be and thinking that you know once I had the things that they had that I would be perfect and my life would be perfect and I would be so happy and it would just be that way for the rest of my life uh you know it just wasn't true and I think there's a lot of people even that um reach out to me and they're like oh you're so calm all the time and you're so um you seem so happy and your life seems so relaxed and I'm like, you know, most of the time I am quite happy and I am quite relaxed, but it's definitely not perfect. You know, there's there's things that I'm aiming for and there's things which aren't easy for me. And I think that's like that for everybody. You know, the, the person that you look up to the most in your life, I guarantee they will have struggles and thoughts which might be hurting them, things that you can't even see which they might be struggling with. So I think it's important, especially now, to realize that life isn't perfect and Often it's the imperfections which make us who we are and teach us the things that we need to learn and help us grow in ways that we never imagined. Mm, I 100% agree with that. And you, you spoke earlier about anxiety and um, some, t- some techniques that you might be able to share around that. And I, I absolutely loved the breathing waltz. That was, <laughs> that was beautiful as well. But anxiety is definitely something that comes up a lot, it seems to be, with a lot of people that I'm talking about, their their journey or their realization really kind of was turned around by anxiety or, or a certain feeling of, of just having to be everything to everybody. But what are some of the techniques that you think people would be able to, I guess, put into their daily lives or, or test drive that could, could potentially manage that? I'm so glad you asked me this. I think this is, this is something that everybody should be learning now. Um, there is so much stress and anxiety and it's on the rise. I, I think the last time that I saw a stat, it was something about one in three Australians would experience some kind of significant stress or anxiety in their life. You know, that's a lot of people who are struggling with stress and anxiety, and there are people who struggle with it every day of their life. And I think that we really need to build up our toolkits, I guess, so that even when we aren't feeling stressed, that we have practices which we can use in times of stress because it's likely that they will come up in the future. So there are lots of different ones which I like to recommend. Um, For times of quite significant stress, I like talking about breathing techniques because the breath is always with us. um, And when we don't have access to other tools or we're not always thinking clearly, if we are feeling really stressed, the breath is an easy thing to come back to. So like I mentioned, there's the breathing waltz, which is quite an easy one to remember because it's just in counts of three. Um, But there are others as well, which I talk about, you know, simply just placing both of your hands over your heart and feeling your chest rising and falling as you as you breathe in and breathe out. Another one which I like to do is sort of um, paired up with a body scan, I guess. So I bring my attention down to my toes. I take a deep breath in. And then as I exhale, I release that part of my body. And then I do that 
pretty much the whole way through my body. I like doing that at night when I'm trying to fall asleep and also at the end of a yoga class when we're doing Shavasana. It's just a really nice way to to bring myself into the present moment and to consciously relax my body. The act of breathing is really important because it does slow down those um, symptoms of anxiety. Uh, when we have a stress response, there is quite a bodily reaction. You know, our body starts reacting to whatever threat that we think that we're facing and it starts getting ready to prepare us to either fight or to run away. And that's natural. You know, stress isn't necessarily something that we need to be afraid of or that we need to avoid. Stress is actually, in a way, trying to keep us safe and trying to protect us. So I think we can also learn to identify stress as not necessarily being a bad thing. You know, when I um, when I go to do a public speaking gig, I still get quite nervous. And now I recognize that it's just my body is, you know, <laughs> it's trying to protect me. It's trying to tell me, get, get out of here. <laughs> you don't want to do this. Um, you're in trouble. And, it, you know, I'm not in trouble necessarily, but I have learned that public speaking is scary from when I was little and in high school, I had some not so good experiences. So my body's just learned to interpret those situations as being a threat to my well-being. So all my stress is trying to do is keep me safe. But you can actually, um, I guess, counteract and balance out those stress responses with breathing techniques because it slows down that stress response and it signals to our body that we're safe. Yeah. It's it's really interesting how the body can communicate to other parts of the body. And um, I, I agree that the breathing is so important. A friend of mine who had asthma, he's had asthma his whole life. And since he was four, he's been having a, like a preventer every single day. He's now like mid-30s. And he went to this special breathing doctor and taught him a whole bunch of other little kind of breathing techniques, but really to kind of slow down his breathing. And um, my friend was t telling me about it and it, he showed me this, I think, I think the app is called Breathing Well or the Breathe Well app. And there's this exercise on there where you can bring your, um, you start your breath, breathing off at six breaths per minute, and then you go down to five, then down to four, then up to five, and then up to six again. And it's a amazing how you feel after I think it goes for maybe six or seven minutes just by really concentrating on the breath and slowing that breath down and breathing deeper I think a lot of us so often breathe so shallow sh shallow I can't mm. so shallow <laughs> yeah. um but I wanted to ask you like when we talk about like meditation and things like that I know that for a lot of people starting out they really struggle with meditation because they feel like their mind is continuously racing while they're trying to do this practice of kind of calming down their thoughts or calming, calming down their mind a little bit. Do you have any tips for people that are starting out with that or, or what are some of the things that you would recommend for people starting out? Well, first of all, I just want to reassure people that, yes, it is natural that your mind will wander. I still do meditations and my mind wanders. I um, I was actually doing a meditation the night before last. I was lying on my bed with my legs up the wall and I was doing that um, technique, which I told you about before the body scan and breathing. And about halfway through, I had an idea for a blog post actually about um, writing about my experiences with meditation for a month. 
And so I've started mentally writing this blog post halfway through a meditation. And, <laughs> you know, it's just natural for the mind to wander. And as soon as you realize that, oh, my mind's wandering, and then you can bring it back to the meditation or your breath or whatever kind of mindfulness or meditation practice that you're doing. And it might happen a couple of times. You know, I, I, I kept writing that that blog post in my mind probably five or six times before I finish the meditation and that's okay it's it's totally natural for your mind to wander and you'll probably find that it'll get easier to bring it back uh, the more that you practice but there are a couple of tools and things which I do recommend um I haven't heard of that app which you mentioned before I'll have to check that out because that sounds great um I do recommend apps because having someone to guide you as you're doing a meditation it's just a little bit helpful as you're trying to concentrate and if you feel like your mind does wander a lot and you're feeling a little bit stuck or a little bit lost, then it's really nice to have someone to help guide you through and to remind you to bring your breath back. So apps are really good like the Calm app and Headspace and Smiling Mind are a couple to have a look at, but also podcasts. I've noticed lately that there are a lot of meditation podcasts which are quite useful. Um, the Mindfulness in Eight Weeks, I did a meditation from that one the other night and it was really good. I have a couple of visualizations and breathing practices on my own podcast and I think there's like a Hay House Meditations app, which I haven't looked at yet, but it's on my list to try out. And you can find them on YouTube and um, all different kinds of places really. Also in books, you can read through them. And yeah, so if you'd like a little bit more guidance, there are actually a lot of different um, resources out there for you. And going to yoga classes as well, I find that it's really nice because the instructor often reminds you to bring your focus back to your breath or to focus on what's happening in your body. And that's really useful as well. So I think it's okay to have that kind of help at the start. And even now I still like trying different meditations and I yeah. don't know, I just, yeah. No, I agree. I, I got involved with with meditation, well, I guess what helped me start out was the Headspace app. I really, mm. really loved that. Um, I think Andy was the guy. I really enjoyed his voice in my ear. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was great. But but I guess that's the thing too. Like when when you're learning anything new, you kind of have a teacher to, to help you or to guide you along. And, and a lot of a lot of these apps and a lot of the stuff that you do as, as well, Rachel, like it really just helps people to go, hey, is your mind going off a little bit here? Don't forget to kind of bring it back. And then as you do it more often, you can kind of, you know, you're more mindful, I guess, of bringing, bringing your, your thoughts back to whatever that anchor might be. But with mindfulness, I guess, how has discovering mindfulness and practicing it affected other areas of your life? There are actually a lot of unexpected ways which has impacted my life. And I love talking about this because it still surprises me <laughs> when I when I get to talk about the benefits, which I didn't know were going to happen when I first started practicing mindfulness. I had no idea what kind of influence it could have. You know, I I think the first thing that I noticed was that I was sleeping a lot better. I was getting better quality sleep, um, not waking up as much during the night. And if I did wake up, I was able to fall back asleep faster. And I think getting better sleep also impacts your life in a lot of different ways. You know, suddenly you're less frustrated, less cranky, um, you're able to concentrate better. Just getting better sleep is, oh, it's just transformational really. And there are lots of people which I think don't prioritize sleep or, you know, maybe they've got kids and it's really difficult to get good sleep, but then they're hard on themselves if they um, feel like they need to nap, that they don't take a nap or, 
things like that. I think it's it's important to to get quality sleep so that it can, I don't know, help you be the best version of yourself that you can be. So sleep was the first thing that I really noticed. And I think the second thing which did surprise me was my relationship started to improve a lot, <laughs> a lot. Um, so I started being a more present listener and being able to communicate a lot more mindfully. So sitting there and creating the space for someone to talk about their day rather than be scrolling through my phone or be cooking dinner or not really paying attention or watching TV or things like that, I started to prioritize spending time with the people that I cared about and focusing on just spending time with them, just being there for them, just paying attention to what was happening in that moment. And I found that my relationships just really felt a lot stronger and I started to realize um, how much I appreciated the people who were in my life and started really, again, prioritizing spending time with them. So, yeah, sleep and relationships are the main thing, but just generally less stressed and more calm and more relaxed and engaging in self-care a lot more. And when I do engage in self-care, I'm not, you know, thinking, oh, I shouldn't probably be doing this. I should be doing this other thing. Or, you know, there's this, this thing that I need to prepare for or plan for, and I should, you know, get out and, um, I don't know, write down a whole list of things that I should be doing rather than taking a bath or rather than reading a good book. Or, you know, I just, I just started to appreciate those times of self-care as I was doing them rather than feeling like I should be doing something else. And you, you spoke about your, your mobile phone then, and, and we also kind of touched on social media and earlier on and, and looking at other people's lives and, and thinking that their lives are always better than ours. But how has, I guess, you know, we live in a, in a digital age and, and we all, well, I shouldn't say we all, a lot of us will be connected to social media or to the internet and things like that. But how have you, I guess, changed your relationship with social media, or I should maybe say, have you, um, with mindfulness? Like, are you on it as much or do you set boundaries around that? How, how do you kind of um, juggle that, that use of being present, but also, I guess, uh, using those kind of mediums to, to grow your business and to, to spread your work and things like that? Yeah, that's a great question. I used to think that I enjoyed social media, but I actually didn't. You know, I was very caught up in comparing myself to other people and to looking at other people's profiles and wishing that I was more like them or wishing that I had what they had and I guess kind of um, contributing to that whole stress mentality. And now I really enjoy social media. I love it. I get to connect with people who are like-minded and they're working towards similar things or they're interested in similar things. And yeah, I do use it for my business as well. So I've been navigating how to, I guess, set up my social media habits in a way that's useful for me and and good for how I want to feel. So it's been a lot about making conscious choices, really, um, not following people who I do compare myself to or who don't really add any kind of value to my life. I'm just following them for the sake of, you know, not really anything. Mm. <laughs> and, um, yeah, setting some boundaries around how I use it. So I've been experimenting a little bit lately with social media detoxes. Last mm. week I set the um, goal to not go on social media after 8 p.m., there were a couple of times that I slipped up and my boyfriend was like, you're on social media and it's 8.30. And <laughs> oh, you've like, got to love a boyfriend that will uh, will whip you back into place when you're breaking the rules. Oh, I know. No, he's um he's very helpful. 
with uh, sticking to my goals when maybe I might not be so good at sticking to them. But yeah, so I've actually found that really useful to see what it was like not to go on social media after 8pm. And you know, that's not like a huge mm. difference or anything. But um, I, I realized when I woke up the next morning, and I went on social media, I was like, Oh, I didn't really miss as much as I thought that I would miss, you know, <laughs> we've started to believe that we have to be up with everything as it's happening. And as well, I think mindfulness has really minimized that um, mindless scrolling through social yeah. media. It's like, oh, I'm just scrolling now for the sake of scrolling. Why am I doing this? I don't need to be doing this. Um, and the other thing that I wanted to mention is that it is quite distracting if we're trying to get things done. You know, I work from home a couple of days a week doing things for my business. And when I first started doing that, I had my mobile phone next to me and I'd pick it up, you know, maybe every half an hour or so and have a bit of a scroll through social media, gen generally get distracted and go and click on some article and have a read or, you know, go to, um, I don't know, a um, like a shop that I liked on social media and have a scroll through all their things and maybe then go over and make a little purchase or something like that. Um, so now I've started putting my phone on the other side of the room if I'm sitting down to work because then I don't just pick it up out of habit mm -hmm. or out of not really thinking or out of um, just a moment where I'm writing an article and then I, I don't really have an idea of what I want to say next. So I pick up my phone. Instead, it's on the other side of the room. So I have to get up and I'm like, oh, well, I'll just, I'll just write one more sentence and see how it goes. And then usually I'm off again. And yeah. it's um, so that's been really useful as well. And how is you, you know, we spoke about your, your boyfriend there. How has he been on this journey with you? Because I know that when I when I talk to a lot of people, whether it be about minimalism or mindfulness or any kind of change that or a growth that somebody's going through, they sometimes are like, yeah, I want to do this, but my partner doesn't want to do this, or I want to do this, or my kids don't want to do that. How, how have you found the journey with your, your partner through this? I actually feel really lucky because Deck is so open-minded like he will try anything he's done meditations with me he's come to yoga with me and he hasn't always necessarily enjoyed it and won't always go back or you know keep doing meditations but he'll try it and he's really supportive of what I want to do you know if I if I say that uh you know oh hey deck I really want to go to yoga tonight because I'm feeling a bit stressed and I'm gonna stretch out my back and he's like oh that's great like good on you and I think that's really nice to express to the people in our lives how beneficial something is for us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, usually that's enough for them to be like, well, why wouldn't I want to encourage you to do something that's going to help you feel less stressed or help you stretch out your back or, you know, whatever other benefits that we might be experiencing. So I found that's really important to communicate. And even with my family as well, you know, they have followed suit quite a lot, actually. Um in terms of exploring mindfulness and meditation and things. So I think that's really exciting that we we do have the potential to encourage the people around us, even if they might not necessarily be open to the idea of it, to doing aspects of our practice with us. So I recommend to people who might be in a relationship with someone who's like, oh, mindfulness, that's, you know, crazy. <laughs> what are you doing? I don't get it and I don't want to get it. But there are actually things that we can do with them, which we don't need to tell them that it's mindfulness. I mean, we're not tricking them or anything. It's just like spending quality time together, you know, um, sitting down to have dinner and encouraging them to put away their phone or to turn off the TV and have a conversation. To me, that's that's a mindfulness practice. You know, that's sitting there and engaging with the person and tasting our food and being present in the moment and not distracted by anything. But 
you know, it can just be a regular part of your day. It can just be something that you do together. It doesn't have to necessarily be labeled as a mindfulness practice. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about that. The weekend pass was the the long weekend here in Australia for the the Queen's birthday. And I was fortunate enough to go up to um, a friend's uh, apartment, a friend's um yeah, unit up in Nelson Bay, which is about an hour away from where I live. And I was up there with two other couples, um, our, our, our dearest, dearest friends, and that everyone's got one child each. And it's looking back at that now, not once through that, you know, the three days that we were up there, did anyone really bring out a, a phone? And the only time maybe would have been like taking some photos. No one was sitting on the couch or at the table flicking through social media. And with that group of friends, it's it's always been like that since since day dot. And it's funny that you talk about mindfulness practices just kind of being part of the day-to-day life. And I think, to be honest, apart from the beautiful friendship that, that those four people give, Inga and I, like it, it's also that depth of friendship that they give us by – not doing things like that, like bringing out their phones all the time? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's such an interesting thing to talk about. We have so many opportunities for connection now that our in-person connections have really suffered in a way. You know, I have a lot of people who I know go out for breakfast with a friend and they'll literally sit there on their phone and be constantly checking their phone. And, you know, it's fine um, for people to to do that. Uh, but I personally would prefer to sit there with someone who was interested in spending time with me. Um, and you're right, like it, it, it deepens our connections with the people who matter to us. And I think that's really important. And, you know, I can see that society is changing a lot and it is kind of the norm now to be on your phone quite a lot. And I'm on my phone quite a lot too. You know, it's a useful tool to have and it's just, I don't know, it's just the way that it is really. That's reality. Um, but making that choice to put it away, I guess, when we're in situations that can improve our in-person connections can be really important. And I guess that's, a, a, I guess, a lot of what mindfulness is, is, is making that choice to, to do things and, and to, um, to think of ways that you can kind of increase the, or not increase, but benefit your life. And, and it all comes down to that choice. But I've, I've just got two, two final questions for you here, Rachel, and, and the second last one is what are areas in your life that you struggle at being mindful oh that's a good question um where do I struggle being mindful actually I have a little bit of a story so I I had my wisdom teeth out um about three months ago and ended up having a really complicated recovery. Um, one of the nerves was damaged. And so I was having a lot of trouble talking. I was lisping a lot and my mouth was, it felt really weird. Like half of my tongue, my tongue was numb and my chin was all really tingly. And I really struggled to be mindful during that time. And I actually ended up feeling quite low. I was, I ended up feeling like I was in quite a dark place after about a week of not engaging in any of my self-care practices because I was supposed to be at home. You know, I couldn't go to yoga and I couldn't catch up with friends because I was on all this medication and I had some not very good side effects from that as well. And um, I guess I ended up at this point where I was so frustrated with my experience that all I wanted to do was distract myself from it. 
And in that time that I was distracting myself from it, just watching TV shows and going on my phone all the time and not doing any kinds of meditation or self-care, which is just really unlike me. But like I said, I just wasn't in a particularly good place at the time. Um, I, I just found that I... I don't know. It was almost like there was a part of me that was like, oh, you don't deserve to be mindful right now because you're you're thinking that you are not dealing with being sick very well. And, you know, there are people out there who are having much harder times than you are and you should be able to deal with this. And just all these thoughts are really coming up for me. And I think it was I was started distracting myself because I didn't want to have those thoughts. And it was I think that was frustrating as well, because I've spent so much time over the past couple of years trying to teach myself that it's okay to have thoughts. They're just thoughts and you can just recognize them as thoughts and let them go and move on. And I just was really struggling. So I guess, um, I guess my point from that story is that you can still go through periods of time in your life where being mindful is really difficult or you might really struggle with it and the practices which you might normally use just aren't resonating with you and it's just not working. And in the end, I was like, this is, I'm really not coping with this very well. And Jack was like, oh, maybe you should go and see a psychologist. And I was like, yeah, I agree. I think that would probably be really good. And I went and saw her and it was just great, like being able to talk and just have someone completely non-judgmental and um, being able to have someone look at the things that you've been going through and acknowledge, gee, you've been having quite a challenging time and, you know, it's understandable that you've been feeling the way you've been feeling and um, then teaching me some self-compassionate practices, which now I use all the time and, um I guess, exploring and learning new things about myself and ways to cope with challenging situations um, ended up being a positive disguised as a a negative at the time. (laughs) Most of them are, aren't they? Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) And it's not until you look back and you're like, oh, you know, as hard as it was at the time, I'm so glad that that happened to me because I really learned a lot from it and um, I I grew a lot. (laughs) But I think that that reflection time, is so important. You know, I think that is sometimes a piece of the puzzle that that we often don't do is to kind of look back and go, you know what, it wasn't that bad. Or, hey, this is the lesson that I learned from there. Or, you know what, next time that comes up, I'm going to do it differently. And just actually take a moment to, to really reflect back at those situations. Yeah, exactly. And this is what I mean about it. It's not necessary to be mindful all the time. It is important that we plan things for the future or that we reflect and we look back and see what we can learn and and bring those things, I guess, into the moment. And it's like, yes, that thing happened, but this is what I learned and now I can do this, which is helpful for me. And so one final question before you go, and it is a question that I ask all my guests on the podcast, and that's if you could please describe your perfect day. <laughs> I love this question because I literally just wrote my answer Yesterday, I was as I was planning the um, podcast episode for next week because I'm doing a mini series at the moment about goal setting, and I was doing a little bit of research and I came across this thing that said write down your average perfect day and then set some goals based around that. And I thought, what a great idea! Like, how often do we just look at our future and think this is the best thing that could happen to me, or this is what I really, really want, and this is what will make my life perfect? But when you actually look at what your average perfect day would be like, it's it's not that it's not that difficult. Like for me, my perfect day is just waking up in the morning without my alarm and lying in bed for a bit of a snuggle with my dog and deck and then maybe going out for breakfast at a cafe, having a really good coffee. I love my um my one little coffee that I have each day is delicious and 
uh, going for a walk with Moose because he absolutely loves going outside and meeting other people and going to new places. So I always find that I really enjoy that time with him. Coming back home and doing some yoga or maybe going out to a yin yoga class and having a nice dinner, something that's really easy but nutritious and like usually some kind of comfort food like a pumpkin and feta risotto or a nice soup or something like that and then watching an animated movie because they're my absolute favorite kung fu panda is like <laughs> my favorite movie of all time <laughs> um and then going to bed for a pretty early night and doing meditation and writing in my journal and that's pretty much my perfect day <laughs> happy days it really is and it's so funny that you you talk there about waking up without an alarm that is really if i had to like put a percentage on that i'd say about 70 percent of people that i interview that's pretty much what they start with they just want to wake up without an alarm and you're so right like our perfect days and it's really why i ask this question they're really attainable you know mm. what i mean like we don't i think sometimes we're so busy 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 trying to reach this imaginary finishing line we're really kind of what we want deep down is it's quite beautifully simple. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I realized as I was doing that activity. I thought, wow, this is something that everybody should do, I think, because it was quite surprising for me to realize that my perfect day is very simple and it is based on a lot of things that I actually already do in my daily life. Um, but I think that there are people who don't necessarily do those things. And I know I didn't used to, like I never used to journal or meditate or um, before I had my dog, I wouldn't really go outside um, when I first moved to Melbourne, at least, uh, just because there were so many people around and I, I kind of retreated back into my little introverted shell. And um, yeah, it's, it's not that hard to bring the things that we actually really want into our days. No, most definitely. But Rachel, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for sharing your journey and also so many of those great tips and resources. And I, I will make sure I, I, I put all of those in the show notes at liveimmediately.com. But if people do want to reach out to you, um, what's the best way for them to do that? And, and also, you, you did mention at the very beginning about doing some, some coaching and some other things that you, you kind of run through your website. If you want to talk about them, I'm, I'm all ears for that. Oh, thank you. Well, I guess the easiest way if they're listening to podcasts already, you might like to go and check out my podcast. It's called The Mindful Kind and it's on iTunes and Stitcher and it's also available on my website, which is www.rachelcable.com and it's spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L-K-A-B-L-E. And there are lots of blog posts there and you can subscribe to become one of my members, which means you get free access to workbooks and checklists and discounts, which I've organized um, with other brands. And yeah, there's lots of little things in there and I'm working on some online workshops at the moment. So hoping to get those up within the next couple of months. I'm really excited. And also something new to mention, I'm, uh, I've just started a uh, channel on YouTube. So I have one video up there at the moment and Deck and I have been working on creating an ongoing video blog series, I guess, called The Mindful Kind as well. So that's quite exciting. That's the other thing I'm very grateful for about Deck. He um, does all my animation and branding and a lot of photography and things. He's amazing with yeah, um, I was just the about tech to, stuff. I, I was just about to ask who shot that video because it's a beautiful video. Oh, thank you so much yeah. for watching it. Yeah, no, he um, filmed it and edited it and um, 
wrote the music, played the music, recorded the music. So yeah, I'm, I'm really lucky. He's very talented and um, we work well together because we have strengths in different areas so we can create some cool stuff, which is really fun. It's the same with my wife and I. She's she's great at all the creative stuff. You know, she's an, an illustrator and a graphic designer. So she wow. kind of does all of that stuff for me. And then for her business, I do all like the accounting and the marketing and all that kind of stuff for her. So it's this yin and yang thing. So I definitely nice. I definitely understand that 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 partnership. Yeah, that's so good. I just love being able to work with um, someone who you care about so much and then you can create all these great things together. So it's it's awesome. <laughs> and I must say that your website is a very happy website. Like oh, when, I, when I was doing research for this, like just going through that and the layout and the colors, it was, it's just a very happy website. And, and I, like I, you know, I know that my, my own happiness is internal, but I just love having external happiness things. So it was really enjoyable kind of, kind of digging deep into your website as well. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, we rebranded about a year ago. My original colors were greens and yellows and oranges. And um, yeah, we just decided that it wasn't me. You know, I I'd started to gravitate towards this beach theme because it just seemed to be what everyone associated with mindfulness. And then I, I realized one day I was like, I don't even spend any time at the beach really. And I would prefer to be up in the mountains and kind of, I don't know, being a bit more playful and adventurous and stuff. So we, yeah, completely rebranded and realized that pink and blue were the colors that represented what I wanted to represent, a bit of freshness and playfulness and I guess my message is about finding ways to bring mindfulness into your life in really fun and simple and meaningful ways. So yeah, I'm really glad that that reflects that. Thank you. <laughs> well, it does. It does. Well, as I said before, I will make sure that all the links to everything that we've spoken about are in the show notes at liveimmediately.com. But before we go, Rachel, is there anything that I've missed out or anything that you'd like to say? Oh, just thank you so much for this interview. It was really, really fun and some great questions, which I haven't actually had before. So I um, I hope that your listeners have enjoyed it. And I'd love to connect with anyone who resonated with um, anything from the podcast today. I'm on all social media as well. So come find me, say hi. I always love hearing from new people. And yeah, thanks, Mike. This is awesome. Oh, thank you so much, Rachel. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, have fun and live immediately. That was another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thanks so much for listening. The original Live Immediately theme music is by the multi-talented Timothy McPhee. You can check out his music at firekites.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed the show, had some fun, and maybe even learned something, then make sure you subscribe via iTunes. And while you're there, why not leave a rating and a review? You know it's going to make my day. Thanks for stopping by and giving me some of your time today. I'll catch you on the next episode. And until then, have fun and live immediately.